but there are many hymns and many choruses who always don't stand the test of time and others that do. And I've got to believe that Jesus Messiah will stand the test of time. I love that chorus. Again, I too want to welcome you here this morning. We're delighted that you're here. There's a lot of information in your bulletin, so make sure you read it carefully. Today is the last family experience of the spring and the summer. It'll pick up again in the fall. So right after the service, 10 minutes after I'm done, that's always an uncertain moment, but 10 minutes after I'm done, whenever that may be, take your kindergartner through fourth grade back to our family experience theater, begin to understand the value of the month and Not only just for that moment, but then what can you share throughout the month, and especially as a family, to continue that journey of growing together. We'll provide all the resources we can as we partner with you in helping this process of raising children in today's world. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it. Summer events coming up. VBS, one of the largest outreach events we have, so we need a lot of help for that. Summer ministries, bulletin inserts are there for a reason, so please read over it. If you can help us, we would really, really appreciate that. Car cruises coming up, and they need your help, so all that information is out there. Make sure you take advantage of that. On Thursday morning, May the 7th, a number of churches, many people around the globe, but certainly here in the United States, are going to spend some time together in what many have called over the last number of years the National Day of Prayer. And so if you're free, 7.30 a.m. downtown at the Diamond, to pray, that would be great. If you're not, many of you already have already been to work at that hour and certainly understand that. But even at that moment, if you can remember that day, that there are hundreds of thousands of Christians around the globe, but specifically around the United States, are praying for our nation, obviously our world. As you saw in last week's bulletin, I've certainly been praying every single day. Our Supreme Court is wrestling with this decision on the definition of marriage. God clarified it years ago. It's still in debate in some context. The implications of that are huge. And so pray that God will continue to direct and lead. Situation in Nepal with thousands of lives who have been lost and devastation for years to come having to be rebuilt. Uh, Unrest in so many of our major cities. This has been an incredibly tumultuous uh, few months in a lot of cities. And so we want to pray for our nation and pray for these cities and pray for both sides of the issue that God will reign in the midst of all that. Two pictures, hundreds of thousands of pictures across the screens over the last few weeks, but these two here stood out to me of a little boy handing out water bottles to police officers and these gentlemen standing in front protecting are two scenes that I couldn't get out of my mind because I so wished Christians would respond that way in a variety of circumstances with the uncertainty of life that believers who know Christ as Savior and something to offer would respond that way as well. And I couldn't help but look at those pictures and wish that we all would respond that way when there is so much uncertainty that goes on in the world with things that we don't agree with and certainly don't understand that we as believers in Christ would respond appropriately. So if you can, pray that day. Obviously, I hope you're praying every day, but if you can pray that day, know there's thousands and thousands of believers that are praying around the uh, planet, but specifically here in the country. Two years ago, the elders and I made a decision that we were going to transition the oversight and review of staff into our executive pastor, Bob Thomas, which certainly fits his strengths. And I would then concentrate my time on what I felt my strengths of preaching and pastoral care were. Soon realized in that process of trans- 
position that technology, finance, and facilities needed to be transferred to someone else. So we began to explore and hire for a newly created position, director of operation. In doing that, we hired Joe Flores, who preached last Sunday morning. And I found myself sitting here last Sunday morning saying, who knew? That was awesome. And I sat here last Sunday morning. Uh, my wife and I took a few days off and, and got away for a couple of days. And so I was able to come to the first service and leave. And I was blessed out of my mind. I had no idea. We didn't even interview him to preach. And then we get that kind of blessing. And I keep reminding myself of how unbelievably blessed we are with the people that we have. Somebody said to me this morning, man, I'm telling you, you've got a bullpen like I've never seen in my life. And I was just overwhelmed. That was an incredibly powerful message. And I appreciate Joe's willingness to share God's truth. But I was stunned at the clarity and the confidence with which he shared it. I had hundreds of you ask me if that was my weight bench and weights. Okay, I had two. It wasn't. But I did offer to Joe right before I got up that I would go up and help him understand how to push that thing up a few times if that was what he was trying to communicate. He said, no, I know you can do it, but I, I'm going to communicate it in another way. So I'd rather you didn't. So I chose not to, even though I offered to go up and bench press that for him. And he knew I couldn't do it. And, um, but it was really good. We're going to return to the book of Acts. Now, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm not always going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to spend a lot of time in the New Testament. My heart's desire over the next few weeks before I leave for General Council, which is a gathering of pastors and missionaries around the globe in California this year, is to finish the book of Acts. So in the next three weeks, hang on. As we share a lot of material, what I love about Acts is that it's a story of the gospel, a story of the church, the takeoff of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, when I listened to Joe share, and I heard that message, I found myself saying, can you imagine what it was like for these brand new first century believers, and especially those who for all of their lives, for generation after generation, had been taking their sacrifices to the temple? You imagine what it was like for them to hear that? You mean it's all in Christ? You mean I no longer have to sacrifice animals? You mean I am forgiven forever because of what Jesus did on the cross? You mean all of my sins, which I honestly never knew were forgiven? You mean all of my sins are forgiven? We sit here, we've heard it for so many times, we kind of know that's a really great message, powerful delivery, really incredible truth. But imagine what it was like for them in that context, who all of their lives, for generation after generation, had been taking those sacrifices to the temple and never really knew whether they had been forgiven or not. They hoped, they wished they were, they wanted to be. But now, because of the message of Paul and declaring that in Jesus Christ, all our sins are gone. Can you imagine what they felt? We kind of take it in. Yeah, great message. I've heard that before. What was it like for them? No wonder the church grew so well. That message, that message is too good to keep. You want to share that with everybody you know. You know there's forgiveness in Christ. 
You know, we no longer have to wonder if our sins are forgiven. What Jesus did on the cross, what Christians celebrate year after year for 2,000 years because of what Jesus came to do in shedding his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins and rising from the dead to promise us a new life. Do you realize what that offers us? That message is way too good to keep. So that's why when we had the table up here a few weeks ago and we said, isn't there somebody you want to invite? I got to believe there was. And my heart was blown away in humility when I saw all the people come up time after time after time to lay a name in there. And my heart's desire is that it wasn't just in that moment. But you really believe that that moment when you put that in that plate, that you were going to continue to pray for that individual and look for those opportunities to invite them to the king's table because you didn't want them to miss that. It's one thing to respond in the emotion of a moment and really feel that saturation of the spirit of God coming on you and knowing there was somebody you wanted to share life with. What goes beyond that and my desire and your desire to share with that individual, to continue to pray for that person, to do everything we possibly can to make sure they get an invitation to the king's table that you don't want to miss. So when I look at the book of Acts and I see the church taking off, I thought, no wonder the church took off. There is so much to share. I did laugh a couple of weeks ago when somebody came in here and they saw the table on the stage. They said, you said Denny was preaching, but it's got to be Keith. And Connie said to him, why? Why do you think it was Keith preaching? Because there's something on the stage. And you never know what Keith's going to have on the stage. This story is too good to keep. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is too good to keep. And so they share it. And the church takes off. Good days and bad days, it takes off. A lot of incredible things happen when Peter finally did exactly what Jesus said he ought to do, and that is go into that upper room and wait for the power of God to land on him. And he did, and he prayed, and he sought God's face, and God's spirit landed. He stood up, and he talked about the wonders of God. And when he did, thousands responded to that. And as the story begins to unfold, as you remember as we began this story a number of months ago of the church taking off when people were sharing their faith in good times and bad, when things were going well, when things were tough, they were sharing their story everywhere they went because they knew they had something to offer, even in the midst of all the difficulty they were facing. I still love Acts chapter 7 and 8 when now the church is under duress and Paul is throwing out threats. Stephen is, is stoned to death. And the church in chapter 8 goes everywhere and all these Christians that were together loving that experience are now scattered all over the place and it says they continued to share the good news everywhere they went. And I found myself asking this question, good news, good night, you lost your church, you lost some friends, they're out to persecute you or about to throw you in jail and you're sharing good news. I whine about the dumbest things in life and I find you in the midst of all of that persecution continuing to share the good news of Christ. Thank you for the inspiration that you give me. Acts is filled with that. God doing incredible things. God doing marvelous things. God going, doing abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. And God taking them through some really deep waters and some tough times. A couple of weeks ago, we left off in Acts chapter 19 where Paul was continuing to share the truth of Jesus Christ. And I love verse 11 of chapter 19 when it said, God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul. 
So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness were cured. And the evil spirit slapped them. And I thought, Paul, that must have been incredible. And then I found myself asking, was it always like that? Was it always like that? I mean, every time that Peter walked by somebody, were they healed? Or just in that moment that I read in the book of Acts when he walked by them and his shadow touched some people that had a need and they were healed. And Paul, was it always that way when you wiped the, spread off your, the sweat off your brow and handed it to somebody and somebody was healed? Was it always like that way or did you go through difficult days? And then I continued to read the story and know that there was a lot of ups and downs like that. One of the questions that I'm always asked when it comes to people coming into faith and seeing the miraculous things in the book of Acts is, why isn't it like that today? Why isn't there miracles constantly like that today? And I found myself going through scriptures to say, it wasn't always like that. And Paul didn't always have extraordinary miracles accompanied to his name. And it wasn't always that when he wiped the sweat off his brow, everybody was healed. There are some ups and downs in a position that Paul found himself in that I want to share with you this morning and some really powerful words next Sunday morning on Mother's Day. Paul's in the middle of starting and continuing and expanding the church. Everywhere he preached, everywhere he went, churches began to blossom up out of that. And he finds himself now in a leadership position of trying to help them understand what it's all about, the ups and downs, the ins and outs of leadership and ministry and all that goes with that. And so he writes his story, not only in the book of Acts, but in a number of other places in the New Testament I want to whet your appetite with this morning. Leadership is hard. And whatever you're leading, you're a dad, you know that. You know sometimes you make decisions that your family doesn't understand. You're leading them in a direction that you want and you know and you sense God leading you, but they don't always embrace that. You know as well as I do as a mom. Sometimes no matter how much love and attention and caressing and caring you give your children, they go in different directions. It's very difficult to watch that happen. For those of you who are in business and, and you're leading that business or and you're in the hierarchy of the org chart in that business, you know that it's tough sometimes with the challenges that go with that. Today's economy, you've got to make decisions that not everyone understands and it's hard. And if you were a coach and you have this group of people that you really do believe in and you want to take them to a championship, or you want to take them to the next level and you invest your time into them and then you got a, a parent, a mom or a dad, and I think you already know this, but moms and dads are worse on coaches than any other aspect of coaching. You do know that, right? And one of the reasons that many don't like to be in the coaching field is not because of the kids or the students. They love them. It's dealing with the parents. Where the dad walks into some coach's face and said, why doesn't my son ever play? I taught him everything he knows. And then you find yourself wanting to say, okay, maybe that's why. And you want him to do well. You want him to succeed. You pour your life and energy into it. Sometimes you win the championship and sometimes you go through a season without a win at all. And you know in the middle of all of that, you enjoy the challenges, you enjoy the ups, and you enjoy the downs. And you know in the middle of all of it, God, if you know Christ as Savior, can teach you some amazing lessons. I had the privilege over the last few months of teaching a class for our district to men and women, or isn't any in this class, men and women who want to pursue license and ordination and consecration with a Christian Missionary Alliance who didn't go to an Alliance school have to take a class called Alliance Distinctives. 
And I've been teaching that class, some of them here in our staff and others from the district. And, and one of the questions that I ask him is, who's been influential in your life? Because ministry is tough. George Barnes said it's one of the hardest influences and hardest organizations in the world to lead. You're working with a volunteer labor force. In our context here, it takes almost 100 people, between 90 and 100 people, just to do children's ministry on Sunday morning. Not hard to believe. It takes between 90 and 100 people, I think, to do 80 to 100 people to do children's ministry on Sunday morning. My wife, who happens to be the children's pastor, every Sunday wakes up, turns her phone on, and just kind of goes like this. Who's going to call off? Who's not going to be there? A few weeks ago, 14 people didn't show up. So when I say to you, we need help in it, great, we'd love you to serve. We want you to do that. He said, you don't always have tangible resources. When you're in ministry, we don't have a product that we're trying to sell. It's just a constant awareness of people's investment into what it is we're doing. I also find that we're one of the only institutions on the planet that I know of where many people take advantage of the services but don't support it. You have the lack of consensus about what we're trying to accomplish. It's very difficult to measure transformation. There's no long-term obligation to stay in any given church. We get 22,000 denominations in the world. Why? Because somebody got mad at one and started their own. A lot of other reasons, but difficult. And he said, you're fighting a battle on two different fronts. We know the visible battle, but Paul said, you need to know you're facing principalities and powers of the air who are out to destroy you. So when I tell these guys who are starting ministry or trying to get involved in the process that it's going to be tough and you need to know that right up front. Not everybody's going to understand it. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everyone's going to respond. It may be difficult. You may go years without someone coming to faith in Christ or you could be in a situation where a church crows beyond your wildest dreams. I visited a church in Omaha two years ago that started with 30 and went to 1,300 in two years. And I've been with pastors who've been in ministry for 50 years and still have a church of 20. So how are you going to keep focused? And who's going to be your heroes? And they'll list a number of people, pastors, fathers, dads, youth pastors that have been involved in their life. And one young man who happens to go here said, A.W. Tozer. And Tozer's dead. Been dead for a while. But he said, listening to him and reading him has impacted my life in, in marvelous ways. And then I thought of this morning's message. In Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's in verse 4, the Hebrews writer, which most think is Paul, said, even though Abel's dead, he still speaks. Even though he's not here, he still speaks. And then I went through the book of Acts, and specifically the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, and then I realized that a lot of these people who are gone still speak in powerful ways. So, Father, would you help me understand what Paul has to say to me in the ups and downs of leadership? Because I really found myself wanting to say, Paul, you are incredible how you keep your focus. Is it always like that? And what can you teach us who are in leadership? Whatever that may mean about how to keep our focus. You read the book of Acts chapter 19 and 20, and you see Paul continuing to share the gospel. But when you open up the book of Acts chapter 20, you see the very first verses said, when the, uproar, when the uproar ceased, when the uproar had ended, Paul went on. And I thought, okay, not everybody responds to your message. So what do you do? It continues to go, continues to move, continues to share. 
From verse 5 to 6, he goes on in other places. In verses 7 and 8, you see him continuing on the first day of the week to gather together, knowing with all the battles and all the obstacles and all the ups and downs, he shares the truth. I love Luke's version, though, of chapter 20, verse 7. First day of the week, we came together to break bread, whether it was a meal or they actually shared communion. Paul spoke and he intended to leave the next day, but he kept on talking till midnight. I loved how one version of it says Paul talked on and on and on and on. And it was almost as if Luke now is sitting in the audience saying, Paul, that, that's really long. And I'm here going on. Not that any of you would ever have sat under a preacher who goes on and on and on and doesn't know when to quit. But it fascinates me how Luke does. So much so that a guy falls asleep, falls out a window and dies. Now, there are two versions of that story I think I shared with you a month or so ago. One is, what? You pastors who go on and on and on could kill somebody. Now, the other version is the pastor's version who says, you sleep in church and God could get you good. Depends on which version you want to share. Paul continues his journey in chapters 20 and 21. Gazan sails to a number of cities and a number of places. And I find myself saying, Paul, how do you keep your focus? What do you do in the middle of all of that? Is it always this good? Has it always gone this well? Do you find yourself wanting to do it on your own at times, or do you have people that God's placed around you? And then the Spirit took me to 2 Corinthians, and he said this, writing about this very story, I believe, here in Acts 19 and 20. I need you to know the whole story, he says, chapter 1, verse 8, about the troubles we experienced in the providence of Asia. We were under a lot of pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so much so we thought we would die. We felt that we had received the sentence of death at times, but it happened so that we didn't rely on ourselves, but God. He delivered us from such deadly peril and I know he'll deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope and will continue to deliver us. We thank you for your prayers because they help. Thanks for the many prayers on behalf of God's family. See, when I read 19 and 20 and see Paul preaching and people responding and the miraculous miracles that took place and the sweat off his brow healing, I thought it was always that way until I read Corinthians as he writes the backdrop of the story, almost a diary about what went on and the ups and downs of all of that. And I say, okay, now that helps me get some balance. And then he points me back in neon signs to verse 10. On him I set my hope. Not on things going well, not when things go bad. On him I set my hope. When you feel discouraged, it doesn't mean you've lost your faith. It means you're in battle. And you need to look at Christ and keep centered on him. He says the same thing in Hebrews when he lists all the things that the early church went through to the point of death itself, like so many of our brothers and sisters around the world, especially in the Middle East. And he said, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and don't give up, even in the midst of persecution. He says in chapter 7 of verse 2 Corinthians, when we were at Macedonia, we didn't have rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the inside, conflicts on the outside. But God, who comforts the downcast, brought me someone. His name was Titus. Not only by his coming, but also the comfort that he had given me. He told us about your longing for me, your sorrow, and your prayers. 
I found myself saying, God, I'm thankful for the Tituses in my life that you have brought me. Obviously, I have got one of the most amazing wife that anybody could have ever had. I know your wife is incredible. My wife's the best. And I'm delighted in the partnership we've been able to share. But for the last 13 and a half years, I've had a Titus in my life named Bob Thomas. And he's been phenomenal in that journey. And when I looked at that section of scriptures, the first thing I thought of was the Titus that God brings into our life. And then I wanted to say to you this morning, is indeed there are people in your life that God wants you to be a Titus for? Because no matter how well things look on Sunday morning or how well their life looks or how well things are going, they may be going through some deep waters. And if you're sensitive to the Spirit, he may say to you, you need to go and lift them up. They've got a dad who's going through really deep waters. The children aren't following Christ and poured his life into them. They're not doing well. You've got a mom who's trying to do this on her own. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to celebrate single moms because I don't think we do that well. I don't think we do it enough. But she's trying to raise two, three, four kids on her own, and it's an incredible challenge. And maybe every once in a while, in the midst of those dark moments, God's saying to you, why don't you just pray for her? Why don't you offer to, to uh, babysit her kids so she can get a night out? Maybe there's a guy in business who has had to make some tough decisions, and people have been going through some difficult moments, and he has to take all the heat because the buck always stops there at the top, and Maybe you just need to say, hey, I, I, I heard things are they're tough there, and just want you to know I'm praying for you. I want you to know I'm, I'm there for you if you need somebody to talk and share, whatever that may be. Just a lot of ways that God brings a Titus into our life and a lot of ways we can be a Titus to somebody else. Because if I read this clearly, I recognize very, very quickly that Paul wasn't always experiencing the miraculous. He had people in his life that were there for him in the midst of those dark moments. I have gotten, and I see one of the faces here this morning, I have gotten some of the most God-given moments of inspiration from people who wouldn't have a clue as to the timing and the necessity of that timing, but sent it at the right moment. Who just sent a, a text or, or an email or, or a verse or whatever that was just incredible timing in their life. I got one Friday, it just... Amazing how those things happen. They didn't set out to be a Titus, but man, did they listen to the Spirit, and the timing was his. Paul said we were hard-pressed on every side, we weren't crushed. Plexed, weren't in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but were never destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Christ will be revealed in our body. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in us. All he's doing is carrying out what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, you've got to die daily. Die to yourself, your inspiration, your aspirations. Die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And you've got to do it every day. And I love how Paul says, I get that in the midst of those moments. When you are leading be it an organization, a business, a family, a team, whatever that may be. I hope you have people in your life who encourage you and lift you up. But if you don't, let me give you a ton of them here because they're amazing. I go back to Hebrews a lot. And when I feel like no one understands, and sometimes even God's let me down, 
I look at Joseph's life and I say to myself, shut up. (laughs) When I look at Moses, who had this unbelievable challenge thrust on him to take two million people across the desert to the promised land and deal with all the issues he had to deal with. And it came to the point when God says, look, I've had it with these people. I'm going to destroy them all. Moses says, if you do that, take my name out of the book. I thought, wow. I may have been the one standing on the mountain and say, get him, God. And he says, now, if you, take, if you take them, take my name out of the book. Caleb and Joshua, who stood strong, everybody else was lying around them, and they all saw the same things, and Sadly enough, all the people were listening to the junk, and Caleb and Joshua said, no, no, I know God's with us, and I know he can, and I know he will. When you feel like you're facing overwhelming obstacles, read David's story, how he takes on Goliath. When you feel like God couldn't use you because of your past, read Rahab's story. You feel like God's presenting a challenge in front of you you don't have the skills to accomplish? Read Gideon's story. The list is endless. So again, with their faith, read Abraham's story. Feel like your family and friends have let you down? They're all over the scripture. Read them. You as a parent ever wonder if your kids are getting it? You as a parent or a teacher wonder in Upstreet or Wombaland, do these kids, they're so crazy, they're wild, they're painting all over each other in the wall, are they really trying to get the scriptural truth I'm teaching them? You're a teacher and you wonder if these kindergartners or fifth graders or whoever you're coaching is getting it. Do they understand the fundamentals? Do they understand what I'm doing? Do they understand why I'm doing it? Do they understand why I've given my all to this particular context? My encouragement to you, go in our library and pick up a missionary story. My wife's reading the story of Buzz and Myrna Max. He was here a few weeks ago. The, the story of, of the, his parents. In one particular context, in one small village, they spent 35 years without a convert. I've only been in ministry 37 years. 35 years in one context without a convert. And then in a marvelous set of circumstances that you've got to read the story to believe. God opened up in amazing ways. God landed. People came to faith in Christ. Churches are planted and still surviving. But after 35 years of investing. So just when you think, do they get it? Are they getting it? Will they understand it? Am I doing the right things? Are they ever going to survive? Go in there and grab one of those stories and say, okay, God, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on sharing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2. Paul was accused of not keeping his word. He said, I, I, I said I would try to come. And circumstances and situations didn't keep me, but I, I was telling you the truth. And I'm sad that you didn't understand. And so I find myself going back to Scripture a lot because you're going to find as well that in all kinds of aspects of leadership, whatever you're leading, there are challenges. And so go to the Word. Go to some great people who've been in your life. Go to some resources, some history lessons that only God could preserve. Heaven and earth will pass away, said my Word never will. And hold on to them tight in the middle of all of that.
best advice that I could ever give you in the midst of all the joys and the ups and downs of the challenges in front of you, whatever they may be, is to be people of the word. All I can do on Sunday morning is whet your appetite. But if you go back to First and Second Corinthians, you'll find that Paul was as honest and open and as vulnerable in writing what I think sometimes when I look at it as his journal than in any place of all of Scripture. Be people of the Word. A great, great models that God has set before us, even though dead, still speak. In the last couple of weeks, probably the last three or four months, we've been dealing with a situation here at Community Alliance. Many parents received a letter a couple of weeks ago, had been receiving letters because of the ministry of uh, E56 and Brent Fell specifically. And a lot of them got the letter about his resignation and all that went with that. It's not our policy to ever discuss personnel issues publicly, but the elders felt the circumstances best for me to share publicly at least this statement today about what took place because of the misunderstanding. It wasn't until last Friday that Brent gave us permission to share some of the details behind the situation, and we really felt it was necessary to share with you this morning because there were some incredibly sad and untrue rumors and gossip about Brent that were started by some. Maybe no one even from here, but at least maybe you've heard about it. And Brent and the CAC leadership felt the best way to address this was to share details that we would normally not share. What intrigues me and saddens me in a lot of ways, we believers are really strong about one of the things that God hates, which is shedding innocent blood. If you read Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things. Well, no, there are seven, he says, that I hate. And one of them is to shed innocent blood, and we take a real strong stand against abortion. But one of the other seven things that God says he hates is stirring up dissension among the brethren, and we tolerate that one. I've not quite understood that, how we're so strong on this one that he hates and we tolerate someone or people stirring up dissension among the brethren. And so when you hear it or when you know it, say, that's just not of God. Sometime as uh, time had gone by, we realized that Brent was experiencing some issues that he shared with us about anxiety and depression. On February the 2nd, he approached us and it became clear that he needed time away from his ministry as he was not healthy enough to continue to pull the requirements of the job. A plan was developed that would enable him to work through the issues and become healthy and return to ministry. During February and March, the elders gave him time away from all responsibilities to focus intently on these concerns with the help of a counselor. Throughout the process, the counselor updated us in, in his progress. At the end of the two-month process, with input from the counselor, it became evident that Brent was still unable to perform the necessary functions of his job counselor also felt that he couldn't give any viable timetable for his return. As a result, Brent, Brent still being unable to return and no practical schedule for his return, the elders made a difficult decision to make some provision for Brent and his family through a time of transition and release him from the position. At the time, Brent was given the opportunity to resign or be released, and he chose to resign. At a later date, the elders chose to make further provision for Brent and his family through a time of transition. We normally would not share those kinds of things publicly, but because there were so many other negative things said, Brent said, will you please share it on a Sunday morning? And I said I would. It may have nothing to do with anyone here. I don't know that. But I do know it's important to make sure that it's declared in the correct way and a positive way. Brent has had amazing ministry in the lives of some fifth and sixth graders down through the years, and I hope you have taken the time to encourage him 
We're praying for God's continued healing and complete restoration and that God will continue to use his gifts for the glory of God in many days to come. Continue to pray for he and his family as they trust the Lord for complete renewal and that God will make very clear the next direction of his life. And we're asking you to pray as well. Questions or comments, you call me, you sit down with me or Bob Thomas, and we'd be happy to share with you personally. Father, I thank you for your word. It is powerful. I thank you for preserving.